Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining. This is a I messed it up. Restart it. All right, I'll just, we'll just keep going. Hey, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I can't. Oh my gosh. Hi, for Andrew Harris, I'm Andrew Decker. Welcome to Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. My co-host has completely lost it. <laughs> Things like saying good afternoon have become too difficult. Has it been that bad of a day, Mr. Harris? I just mentally pressed a reset button. I think I'm back. Hey, okay. how's it going? You know, we are recording, even though this is dropping, you know, first thing in the morning on August 15th, we're recording this rather late in the afternoon. Yeah, this might be on a Thursday. On, well, first of all, uh, that is true. I don't know that I've seen you in the office at 434, which is in in years. Explains the brain fog a little bit. Yeah. You yeah. okay? I'm fine. Do you need I'm some great. sugar? And no, I'm good. <laughs> Uh, but I am really excited that you're not in prison. I'm really excited to get out of this prison of an office. No, stop that. And I'm really excited to talk with our guest today, Ben Jeffries. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing well. How are y'all? Doing well. Doing We're well. doing great. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. Well, obviously, right? No, everything's going smoothly as planned. <laughs> so, yeah, we've, we've rehearsed that. Um, so, Ben, thanks for joining us. You know, I uh, a couple of weeks ago, months ago now, we had Jake uh, Greenberg on to talk about uh, the Council for Offenders, and I think after listening to that, you, you reached out to Decker and and gave us some insight about what your experience was. And and I, you know, I think it's uh, I think it'd be yeah, interesting this is, this conversation. Is kind of a, this is kind of a follow up. Yeah, yeah, um, right. So Ben, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did how did how did you get here? Well, uh, it was it was a long journey. Uh, I worked. <laughs> After after high school, I went to work in the prisons, and I worked there for 16 years. Uh, I I progressed to the rank of captain, which I held on multiple units. Um, I worked. I don't. Most people probably won't be familiar with the names of the units, but uh, the East Ham unit, which is now called the Wainwright unit, it's just outside of Huntsville. Uh, I spent most of my time there. I went to the Darrington unit, which is outside of Houston for several years. I worked at the Cofield unit, which is up in the Palestine Tyler area. And uh, one of my last stops was the Clemens unit down in Brazoria, Texas. Once I got done with the prisons, I then started my, my journey through school. So I graduated from Sam Houston State University in 2017. Went to South Texas College of Law after that, passed uh, last year's July bar, and uh, got got employed with a fantastic law firm out of Beaumont, uh, Gert Skelly, and uh, we, we focus solely on criminal defense, and I've been off and running ever since. That's incredible. Yeah, that is incredible. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of attorneys, um, you know, have uh, make, make, criminal defense or just being an attorney, their second career. Amen. Um, yeah. Decker is one of them. Uh, you so, you know, that I, I love this story, man. It, it, um, and I think you're going to bring a lot to the table as a criminal defense attorney. Just think how many questions we get from clients. Oh, all the who time. Maybe going into incarceration sometimes for the first time that, you know, maybe you and I are just inadequate well, I hope up. never to go into incarceration, well, even I, for the first time. I, I was going to say that we're not really equipped to answer right. those questions fully, but but Ben here is. So, fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I'd say that it's already benefited um, 
benefited some clients already, just my experience and my connections, my network that, that, you know, still reaches into the prison system as far as questions about parole, questions about placement, yeah. questions about how they can, you know, get, get up to a unit closer to their family, uh, what, what to expect when they go in. A lot of different things that I, I'm recognizing that I can provide some insight and maybe just smooth the process over for them to where, you know, a lot of people just don't have those answers. Well, let, let's let's go with that. I think, I think yeah. the the what to expect when you go in seems like a great place to start. And it's not on the, what we sent you, but I, right. I can't resist skipping that. Yeah, fair. Um, so. Most of our clients, they're going to be in, well, they're either out on bond or they're in a, a county jail somewhere. Uh, if, if they're found guilty and sentenced to prison, they're going to be detained or taken back to the county jail and wait for placement in the TDCJ. That means they're going to be transferred, depending on the region that you're at. And uh, every, every region kind of has their own intake facility. But if you're anywhere around the Huntsville area, you're going to get sent to Huntsville probably through the diagnostic unit, which is the, the bird unit. Uh, and you'll be, UCC will evaluate you, look at your offense, look at your age, look at the amount of time that you've been sentenced for, and they're going to find the unit that best fits those parameters for you. And then you're going to be shipped to that unit. Um, there, There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, pieces to the formula, but but that's the basic gist of it. So the um, region has their their diagnostic or assessment unit. Does that mean that they're trying to keep you in that region? It can. It's uh, generally the answer I give clients who might be asking a similar question. Uh, if, if they're from Beaumont, are they going to end up in El Paso? Are they going to end up? you know, up in the panhandle somewhere. And the answer to that generally is no. It's not for the inmates benefit. It's not for, you know, the person going to prison. It's not their benefit. The, the state does do a reasonable job trying to keep the incarcerated individual close to the family. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're aware that most families aren't ready to load up and drive whatever it is 13 hours across the state of Texas to go for a two hour visit, you know? So, so they do try to keep them kind of in the area. I, I do. Uh, and, I do appreciate that you say try, right? Yeah. I had right, a client they, they try. from, from the Fort Worth area who ended up in Dilly, uh, which is South of San Antonio. And anytime someone goes, well, uh, you know, everybody stays where they're, you know, close by. Cause that's what they hear. I'll say, well, no, because I have this guy and I know where he right. ended up. Um, so I tell and him it, it, lots of factors, lots of things. Going exactly. To where exactly. There's in. lots of factors and s some of it cannot, he could end up, I'm not exactly sure what's happening in Dilly, but there's, um, there's like a limited number of say substance abuse facility treatment programs, right? Uh, the, the safe peas there, there's a limited number of those through the state. So if, if the client fits the bill to go to one of those, it's very beneficial for the client, but it might be way out of the way compared to where he started this from, you know? Uh, um, yeah. the, so it, it can involve looking at things like the programming and, and what are the specific needs to that 
particular individual, uh, it, it can lead to some crazy placement. Hey, Ben, real quick, this also is not on our agenda, but how bad does a defendant have to be like physically uh, or mentally ill to, or maybe not mentally, but just physically ill to get transferred down to the hospital in Galveston? Uh, at uh, tricky. It's, it's, I don't know how to put it in, in terms of like how sick they need to be, but there is certain things that, that will get them there. Um, okay. let's just say if they, uh, if they have some sort of medical emergency on the unit, right. The the very first step is the unit's infirmary, uh, and they're equipped to deal with a lot of the minor issues. But if it's something that goes beyond that, then they'll call in EMS and they'll get them transferred via ambulance to a local hospital. That hospital's job is is designed mainly to get to, to get them stable. Now, at the end of that, if they've reached a point where they're stable, but they need continuous treatment uh, that the unit might not be able to give them, that's when they lo- start looking towards hospital Galveston. Uh, gotcha. So it's. I, I've uh, had it, some it's, clients that have been there and they say, oh man, it's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always, uh, it's kind of, you know, we would joke, we would joke about it. And some of the inmates would, would joke about it as, as far as, you know, it's kind of a vacation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, club, yeah there's it's air med. conditioned and the food's good. And, you know, people are generally in better moods. So. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the hardest thing to accept as a worker in the prison system? Yeah. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of a tricky one to really get a hold of because there's a, there's a lot that's kind of difficult to accept, but I, um, uh, We'll, I, I we'll guess take I'd, more I'd, than one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'd, I'd start with just the stigma that comes with being a, correctional officer or a a prison guard you know there's uh, i believe as as society looks at you it's not in a favorable light um there there's and some of that is justified you know i'm not not trying to avoid uh that some of that is legitimate but not all of it and we're basically everybody's taking the rap for the bad apples you know that's that's kind of a thing that happens but it's difficult to kind of uh come to grips with when you're in there working hard trying to do what you're supposed to do uh you know you're sweating like crazy you're getting gassed on the regular you're you're not and, and then when you go home after you feel like you've done a good job people look at you sideways or when you fill out a resume that has uh, you know, worked uh, as a correctional officer for TDC for X amount of years. People don't care a thing about that. You know, they it's it's almost something you have to overcome. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the stigma is it's there and it's it's cumbersome, um, but not so much as I would say the the corruption. Uh, and it's just mind blowing, and and it's not necessarily to the extent that you would see on. Uh, on television or, or what you might think it is, but it's, it's just not needed. And, and those that those officers, the base level officers and uh, uniform staff that succumb to it, 
they're they're basically just allowing themselves to be played. The the inmates don't really need you. They're just yeah. playing with you. They're just trying to find something to do and you happen to be the target. You look easy. They're going to they're going to get you under their thumb and and get you to do things and they might use you to help move some stuff around, but the real movers inside the prison don't they don't need a guard's help at all uh they have outside sources that will bring contraband up to the unit and hide it in uh like outside the unit in in the agricultural areas they'll they'll throw it out of their car they'll do something right and then the trustees will go and get it and they'll plant it in where uh it's it's brought into the unit through uh, uh, the kitchen or laundry or maintenance or something like that. And then it's divided up and sent out the real, the real organized players in the prison don't need the guards. The only reason they're using the guards is just to kill time and to have fun and to give themselves leverage when they do get in trouble. So it's always blown my mind how, these officers can come in and get corrupted like that for no real good reason. You know, they might make two, three, four, five hundred dollars extra a month by bringing in some contraband, but in the long run, that's you know, that's just not enough. That's that's no, yeah. the the risk risk reward is all out of balance there. So that was, and, and it really causes problems. Uh, one one corrupt officer can really put a whole shift in danger, you know, cause you, cause you don't know who's going to have to come and save them. The, they're going to mm-hmm. put themselves in a spot. The inmates are going to put them in a situation they can't get out of. And next thing you know, people are going to have to come over there and help get them out of it. And it's, it's just a, a unreasonable problem that doesn't need to exist. And it's really hard to understand. Uh, and beyond that, I would just say the, the politics involved in the prison. Um, something I've never understood is how the rule makers are people who have never worked in a prison. Uh, that they don't they they don't have a grasp on what the consequences for these rules that they put in place are. I know their heart's probably in the right place, and there's reasons for all of them, but uh, the the application can be almost almost impossible uh given the facilities some of these facilities were built in the 1920s and 1930s and the a lot of the rules that they've put into place they 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 just don't fit the, the the mechanics of the facilities um and, and it gets really really difficult you kind of sound but like I, some I of our teacher things. friends but to say it's like sounds yeah. like um you know the legislature actively tries to ignore stakeholders whenever they're making rules about anything right um just just absolutely anything like when they when they reformed uh dwi surcharges into a super fine like everybody's like yay surcharges are gone and they're like but we're gonna do super fines like what i mean who who did you guys talk to about any of these changes i mean the legislature to me is a bunch of crackpots if i'm Right. I mean, there's there's been plenty of rules that come out, and when we're looking at them, we're like, well, how are we supposed to enforce this? You know, we yeah. 
we, we don't have the tools or the resources or our, our prison isn't designed to do what they're wanting us to do here. You know, did, yeah. did any, did they ask us anything? <laughs> no, of course well, not. And now you're in a position to where you're really hindered at doing your job as a corrections official, right? Cause you're, you know, you're feeling pressure when you're uh, on the inmate side and then also trying to appease the powers that be that, you know, with who made these rules and, Right. Kind of, it's kind of sometimes being a defense attorney in that sense, because we're fighting our clients sometimes and we're fighting the prosecution and the judge yeah. sometimes. So that's interesting. And I'm I'm really 100 yeah, percent. I'm shocked when Decker asked you that question that you, the first thing out of your mouth wasn't working without AC because you as a corrections official are in those the prisons that don't have air conditioning. Right. No, that that that's very true. Um, I guess in a sense, it's something that you just kind of become used to after a while. And it sounds bizarre, but you know, your body, body can become accustomed to a lot of different stuff. And it, and at first, you know, if you were, if your first day working in the prison was, was a day like today where it's, you know, triple digits outside, it's, it's going to suck and you might not be there very long, but (laughs) uh, over, over time, it's like, Oh yeah, it's just another hot day. You know, we drink water. Yeah. There's, fans I, I the the whole facility every facility i've worked on would be better if they found some way to air condition it at least to some level you know yeah. but um uh, there there is a substantial difference from the point where i started in 1997 to the point where i exited in 2014 they they put a lot of energy into placements of fans all over the place and uh, some ventilation systems that keep the air moving. And th- there was a noticeable difference of not, not only the temperature and it just feels a little more breathable in there, but it's uh, the, the amount of heat strokes that were happening went mm. from wildly unacceptable to where guys that were just sitting in their cells Right. Not doing anything, just sitting in their cells, having heat strokes uh, in the 90s, whereas now that's not that's not near the problem that it was. But it could still be improved with just some sort of air conditioning system put in. It doesn't doesn't have to cool the whole facility down to a, a, you know, comfortable 70 degrees. But, you know, something to keep it below 100 would be great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously we've all seen movies, television shows, uh, portraying life in a, uh, correctional facility. It scares some of our clients, right? Absolutely. So is it as violent? Am I, I guess I know the answer I'm guessing, but (laughs) is it as violent as it portrays on TV? Is it anywhere close to that? No. Uh, short answer is no. The more elaborate response uh, would be that there there are atrocious acts of violence in the prison, and that that catches nobody off guard, right? right. Um, I, I I myself have been involved in hostage situations, riots, staff assaults, homicides, the the whole list of issues that. But even to somebody like me who's had that experience over a 16-year career working in maximum security prisons, the, the, the 
uh, that are on the worst end of the violent spectrum. Uh, I couldn't hardly watch the any type of prison show or movie. Like it's all just it, it would leave me so anxious and irritated. Like, well, why are they trying to make us look like that? Why are they trying? That, you know, the inmates don't even act like that. This is not how it is. They can't do this. They would never be able to do that. And it's um, the, you know, that when, when I tell prison stories, nobody really wants to hear about the calm days. Yeah. The, 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 the glory is in the rough stories, the violence, the, the, the nasty stuff. That's what gets people's attention. So of course the shows are going to really focus on that and they're going to paint it out to where if you just step in the wrong spot, you're yeah. subject to get jumped by everybody. And that's just not the case. Um, in, in reality, the, the, the presence of violence has been reduced greatly. Like uh, from the 1980s when it was probably at its peak, to now it's not even comparable just because we have there's more consequences to it now there's laws where the 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 offenders know that if if they do something really violent to somebody and it gets discovered they're going to have they're going to have a whole nother set of uh, criminal consequences coming to them and the the ability to be discovered is much greater because there's a lot of a lot of video equipment uh, a lot of camera systems in place now. Um, and, you know, if we're just being honest, the, the snitch system is more alive and kicking now than it ever has been. So there's a, that it's just not conducive to the offender population to be uber violent, like what's portrayed on television. And, um, and kind of a, a side note to that is, and a lot of these guys are in prison. A lot of them are there for nonviolent stuff. These aren't always right. just violent people that we're locking yeah. up. These are, are normal people who have done stupid things that go to prison. And now they're, you know, they're, they're still not violent just because they're in prison. Uh, and, and a lot of the guys that are violent outside, when they get into prison, into the more controlled environment, they adapt really well. Uh, yeah. and, and they're, they're, they're just not the threat that they were when they had a gun in their hand. Uh, it's th There's a lot of reasons why it's not as bad as what you see on TV, but that's not to say that there's not the potential for violence. You know, it, uh, again, yeah. it can depend a lot on which unit you go to. Every unit kind of what I would say has their own temperature. Um, some where there's a lot of youthful offenders and a lot of, uh, a lot of violent offenders, you're going to have more violence there on some of the units that house the older guys or the, 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 the guys that are going to get out a little quicker, less violence. And, and sometimes it's just as simple as that. So, so then, um, with, with all that being said, when you started, I, I don't know what kind of what you had, uh, opinion of prison systems in your head when you when you started right out of high school that would be terrifying for me yeah. thinking about me right out of high school going to that yeah. environment um but like what what is what surprised you um you know in a good way about working in the in the system 
Well, I I would say something that you that a lot of people probably don't think about, but it once you're there and you really realize where you are and what you're doing and how much you have to depend on the people around you is the the community aspect that that creates. You know, a lot of a lot of jobs will will throw this idea of you know we're a family around you know but it's a it's a different sense of closeness you have with somebody when you've actually gone in there and had to you know physically combat people with them and and you've had to actually rely on them to to get you help or to come and help you or to uh to just anything you know to to protect you when you're relying on other people on a daily basis to protect you, you the bond gets thicker. Uh, and that just the, the relationships that you can foster out of that are really kind of powerful. Um, and, and I would say that that's, that, that was something that was a pleasant surprise. You know, you're not in there alone. You're, you're wickedly outnumbered. The ratio is ridiculous at, at, any given time, depending on what you were doing, you might be outnumbered 200 to two. But uh, if you had, if that second person with you was somebody that you trusted and knew wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna wire stuff up and wasn't gonna try to create problems for you and knew how to diffuse the situation and knew how to handle a situation if you couldn't diffuse it, your confidence level was so much greater. And, and you really, 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 appreciated that and, and you wanted to foster those relationships with those kinds of people so uh the, those those bonds were were really special yeah it sounds like a like a military level camaraderie it yeah, it almost yeah. is and and i'm always really hesitant to compare it to the military just because you know like we weren't getting shot at from unknown sure. places or we weren't worried about stepping on a on a on a mine or or you know getting our vehicles blown up or anything like that but they're uh, i do it, it's comparable i would say yeah on some level so what is something that uh would be shocking to someone who's not familiar with the prison system and i sent you an example and this this i don't know that it was shocking but i was really surprised to learn and i learned this only in the last like four months um that in one of our local jails where there's a slot in the attorney booth so that we can pass papers back and forth. Anytime someone goes back to their cell from the attorney booth, they get strip searched. What County is this in one we're sitting in right now? Are you kidding? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> and yeah. I'll tell you, I know that on a different. Oh time. my gosh. Um, and so then I've asked a few clients about that afterwards. I'm like, and they're like, yeah, every time I'm like, huh. Yeah. It, but it also makes it where, I don't just go and have a random visit with somebody to tell them, Hey, your court's been delayed a month. I'm like, Nope, it's not worth strip church for that. They'll know right. when they don't get called over. Yeah. yeah. So what's it's, something um, that, that, that you think would be shocking or surprising to people who's not familiar with it? Well, the, you know, this is something I actually kind of felt was one of the more difficult things to answer because a, a lot of them just require a lot of explanation to go with it. But uh, I'll, I'll try to keep this, I'll try to keep it condensed. Um, probably the most surprising thing, just because I hear this term kicked around so frequently 
and the disgust and that comes along with it, which is understandable. And I, I'm not trying to minimize it, but this, uh, the, the idea of solitary being like in this isolated no man's land where there's no contact with anybody else. Right. Um, it, you are confined to a cell for 23 hours a day, could be 24 hours a day. Uh, usually those punishments last in between. You, usually it's no more than 15 days at a time. It can go as much as 30 days at a time. And uh, then there's a three 72-hour window that there, there's a mandatory break in it, and then you can go back if you have kind of stacked offenses. But – uh, I guess where the real confusion is, is that is the exact same status and the exact same treatment for, for the most part as somebody who's in pre-hearing detention, somebody who's in administrative segregation or even protective custody. Like the, if I was to show you an image of the cell, the cell block and the offender sitting in the cell, there would be no real way for the, the the average person to to differentiate between pre-hearing detention, transit status, uh, protective custody, ad seg, or solitary. But the only one anybody ever gets upset about is if we say the word solitary. Yeah, uh, and, and I, I think that that's just a big that's something that would catch a lot of people off guard, you know, because Solitary, even at its worst, is a temporary status um, where a guy who's in administrative segregation, and I, I do believe they've changed the terminology yeah. behind ad seg, but it's the same. Everything's the same. They just call it something a little fluffier now. Um, <laughs> it, it, that those guys are in there. They're in, uh, in a lot of cases, they're in there their entire sentence. You know, they're they're trapped in that box, not for 30 days, but they can be in there for 20 years, 30 years for life, uh, depending on if they're gang affiliated and which gang they're affiliated in and uh, some other criteria. So the the uproar over the word solitary being attached to this type of confinement always always kind of makes me roll my eyes a little bit because, well, why aren't we throwing the same amount of, of dis disdain out for the administrative segregation guys or the, even the protective custody guys are treated very, very similar. Uh, right. The transit when you're, if an offender came up to a staff member and says, Hey, my life's in danger. The, you know, I've, I've come into this situation and I need, I need some help. What's going to happen is he's going to be put in transit status. And that status means you're going to go down to an ad seg cell block and you're going to be put into an ad seg cell and isolated from the general population. And you're going to stay in that status until we complete an investigation, usually seven to 10 days. Uh, and it, it's the same, it's the same thing. Everything's the same about it. Yeah. Like, you're still not going to wreck. You're not going to a chow hall. You're handcuffed every time you come out of the cell. You, um, you know, your property's a little more restricted, and you're you're just there in a box. 
and it's a it's the same thing from from all those different statuses. Uh, so yeah. I, I think that would probably catch a lot of people off guard. Well, nobody makes a movie about you mentioned, you know, someone who's waiting for a, a detention hearing, you know, we don't make a movie about them being in basically solitary because of them having to be moved in and out as often to go to trial or something like that. But we've all seen the Alcatraz movie where the guy is thrown in the box at, you know, and it's completely dark minus like one. Right. Level, yeah. Right? And, and so I, again, the movie makes it where it's this thing where they go and yeah. basically uh, go insane and uh, Kevin Bacon. Hundred percent. There, there is no, there is no box down in the basement that people are thrown into. Should, uh, should there be? You know, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know the if there should be. I, yeah. What's yeah. in the box? No, I would. I would uh, not. I don't know if I would be one. I like my creature comfort, so I just don't think I could be a. Uh, yeah, you're, way, you're way too. You're way too soft for this. Exactly. Mm. Um. But I and I'm afraid that like, you know, I I may be the guy that's kind of egging it on a little bit. But I, you know, just a little bit of a troublemaker. I just don't know if I should be trusted on in that in that environment. I, I pray for you if you ever have to go in. My God, me too. Yeah. <laughs> don't uh, do it. Whatever so, it is, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not worth it. I'm not gonna do it. Don't worry. I love my life. Okay, um, Ben, uh, what <laughs> what. We, we kind of talked a little bit earlier about, you know, these rules that are made that just aren't feasible really in that environment. But like w within the system, as you remember it prior to, you know, becoming a lawyer and going to school when you're back um, when you were still a, a, a captain, no less in the in the corrections facility. What if you could change one thing, what what would that be? Well, I um, I've, I've talked about this a lot and I've had some a lot of discussions about it. And I think probably the most damning aspect of prison is when you see young people there, when you, you know, I worked at, at one facility where we had the youthful offender program and they were in a real man's prison at 14 years old. Oof. And yes, sure. There's some protective measures that are taken, but uh, man, that environment's not for a 14 year old. And I don't care what he did. You know, right. um, I, I really think that prison shouldn't even be on the table except for just the most extreme cases until somebody's an adult, until they're and, and I don't just mean a legal adult at 17 in the eyes of Texas. I mean, like, if you can't buy a beer, you shouldn't be able to go to prison uh, yeah. uh, unless it's a really extreme case. And there should be a whole separate hearing for that, you know, a whole separate kind of judicial process to figure that out. Um, but I, I would say really just removing this, this kind of twisted mentality we have of throwing youth who have messed up into a prison to be taught how to be an adult, because who do we think are teaching them how to be adults? Yeah. You know, sure. They're going to some class for an hour a day. And yeah, they're around some correctional officers that are probably pretty good people, but they're around right. some knucklehead correctional officers that are bad examples as well. And for the most part, they're around more developed criminals. Yeah. So when they get out at 25 years old or so, they're, they've been raised by criminals. Uh, and, and somehow we expect them to do better 
this time. It doesn't make sense. It's it's silly. It's it's short sighted, and it's kind of an a, an embarrassment to where we are as a society to think that these kids could benefit from going to prison at such an early age. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Yeah, I don't care if you could have every every corrections official could be like the best, you know, person and parent in the history of the world. But as you said earlier, you know, at ratios of like 200 to two, uh, they're not going to get that much FaceTime or one on one time no. with with a decent adult, you know. No, of course not. And, yeah. and I would like to just rehash one topic. You said something uh, and I, I, I probably talked too much about it already, but I, I do feel like I would sell myself short if I didn't mention this, just something that would might surprise people uh, uh, about working in a prison that might yeah. catch them off guard um, is the value of a strong female presence. Um, it, it's just invaluable. It, it's a mean? world full of testosterone and masculinity. Uh. And I don't care if you're Arnold Schwarzenegger you know, trained like Chuck Liddell who can come in there and just beat up everybody. It doesn't matter. That's not going to solve problems in the way you want to. And some people are just going to get hurt. But the ability to have a lady who is strong, you know, like a still a strong personality, but can come in here and talk to these people that are from broken homes, that are young men, that, that, see a woman in a different light than they do a, a, a man, be able to talk to them and reason with them on a level that we can't, That's that goes so far. And I feel like females just do not get enough credit for being such a useful resource in law enforcement. Uh, and I really do feel like they should be pushed, pushed to action in so many ways in all aspects of law enforcement, uh, but very very underutilized in my opinion. Wow. That's very insightful. Yeah. I would, I, I would love to see more uh, females in law enforcement. I mean, I, I think men have made a, uh, done a great job at, at mucking things up. That's and, right. Um, it's so, uh, I mean, there, there's a place in a time where you have to, you know, you, you gotta be a knucklehead and, and, and solve problems, but you know, we, we should really be finding ways to avoid that. And yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot to prove for a young, uh, a young male offender being challenged by a, a big, strong, hulking male prison official, uh, where that just has great potential to turn into violence. Whereas a, a a well-spoken lady can come in and diffuse that at a level that the guy just can't. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I like it. Great insight. Mm-hmm. So we end all of our, you obviously listen to the show some, you know that we end with uh, some personal questions that aren't too personal. Um, they're basically yeah. just to help us get to know a little bit about you. Mm-hmm. So, so Ben, what is a favorite band or musical artist? Well, I'm a 40 something year old meathead, man. I, I, I like Metallica and Pantera and, and that type of stuff. Uh, anything that gets me going, that gets me angry enough to lift up some heavy stuff in the gym. Uh, but yeah, I do like, I do like the calmer, uh, more relaxing music. I like Colin McGinnis. Uh, I don't know if y'all are familiar with him. Might check oh. him out. He's k- kind of an Irish folk singer. So oh. I'm all over the spectrum really, but 
most likely the most highly played uh, artist in my in my uh, musical Rolodex here is probably Metallica. Gotcha. All right. All right. What about like your favorite book, one you're reading now or one you, you know, suggest to others? Well, if you like science fiction, I would uh, suggest anything written by a guy named Lamont R. Chapman. He has a series of books out called uh, The Spread. It's a three-book series, which I found very enjoyable. And he's he's starting a new series now called Six Figures. It kind of has a superhero-type uh, vibe to it. It's, it's very pleasurable. So I, I like I like that guy's work. All Wonderful. right. I like, I like new options. Yeah, me too. There you go. Best piece of advice, personal or professional? Uh, I, I say just put yourself out there. You know, you, you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what you can do until you try to do it. Um, I mean, I worked 16 years in the prisons and never really thought that I would be much of anything outside of that environment. Uh, I didn't think college was for me. I didn't. I definitely didn't think law school was for me. I definitely think I could be a lawyer. But when I w- decided to just push through it and and not limit myself, but let's let's quit picturing a boundary and let's actually go find one. Mm. Uh, I've I've now not found it yet. You know. I love it. Um, so don't don't box yourself in. I mean, we, we all have our limits, but you don't know what they are until you try to get something done. And, uh, you, you, the only way to do that is to put yourself out there. If you think you want to do something, figure it out, go do it, put in the work, be willing to suffer yeah. a little bit for it and, and figure it out. I love that, man. Stop picturing the boundary and just go find it. That's I, right. I, I dig that. That's, that's great. Well, you're out in uh, Beaumont now these days, right? Uh, well, the office is in Beaumont, but gotcha. I'm doing most of uh, my, I, I have a, a satellite office that's in Conroe. Okay. And, uh, so I, I'm doing most of the firm's work up in Conroe, Huntsville, Houston, Madisonville, uh, and all the little bitty counties, you know, in between there. Right on. So if, uh, one of our listeners, uh, needed to reach out to you, wanted to hire you or had some questions for you, how can, uh, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, my email is B Jeffries, that's J E F F E R I E S, at Gertz Lawyers, G E R T Z, and lawyers with a S dot com. Cool. And we'll put those in our show notes um, so that, you know, people can hopefully find it. Decker won't be able to find it. He doesn't know where the show notes I are. I can't find the show notes. But, uh, <laughs> but most listeners know where the show notes are. I've shown him yeah. like 10 different times. I um, I've found them a couple times. So I don't know that that's true. Uh, we'll put that in there. Hopefully people can reach out to you and, and we really appreciate your insight yeah, this on, uh, is... on the show. It's been really enjoyable. Really interesting. What? Yeah. And, and congratulations on finishing up your first year of uh, being an attorney that I remember yeah. those days. Congratulations. You've come, you've come a long way, baby. To yeah. quote, no, to quote the old commercial. That's right. Well, that, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate y'all having me on and, and having a discussion and, uh, you know, just, just really enjoy your work. Fantastic. So, so Ben is proof. If you reach out to us, there's a good chance you're going to end up on the show. So reach out to us. Please do. Uh, you can find us at texascrimdefense.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, 
If you Google Andrew Harith or Andrew Decker, you're going to find our offices and probably find the show. Yeah. Um, we've actually had former uh, guests who said that someone Googled their name and they found their, where they were the guest on the show. So, yeah, wonderful. Um, but find us. We'd love to hear from you. For Andrew Harith, I'm Andrew Decker. And for Andrew Decker, I'm Andrew Harith. Thanks. Y'all be good. <laughs>